Welcome to Historically Thinking, a program devoted to all kinds of historical knowledge and to the ways that we achieve it. I'm your host, Al Zambone of the Department of History at Augustana College. Our website is historicallythinking.org, where you can subscribe, find more information about our guests, links, and related readings. Our email address is mail at historicallythinking.org. We'd love to hear from you. Hello. My guest today on Historically Thinking is Kellyan Adams. She's the impresario, uh, the, fo- the founder and the mastermind of Green Door Labs. It's a unique company, uh, but one of several, as I found out, dedicated to making educational games primarily for museums. And in this third part of our series, our focus on history, historical thinking, and learning games, we're really pleased to have her with us to explain, among many other things, uh, what she does and why she doesn't like the word gamification. Kellyan, so good to have you with us, finally. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. So you are in the Smithsonian? You're in the, the mall in Washington, D.C.? I right am. Now? I am, yeah. I'm in, I'm in Washington, D.C. right now, um, and I'm hanging around the Smithsonian. I'm in between the Spreer and Sackler Galleries. I was just chatting uh, with the, the Museum of African Art, which is another wonderful sort of lesser, like, less, less visited uh, museums here, I think. Yeah, People the, come to the big ones, and yeah. there's a couple really fantastic smaller ones. There's that, that sort of a little back <laughs> courtyard. Is it in the Museum of Industry or the old building? With the, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that Museum of Industry has been under construction since the dawn of time. I don't know if we're ever going to be done with that one. Yeah, it's always but, under construction. That's what it's for. Yeah. Um, yeah, but uh, but it's one of my favorite places. I just love coming to the Smithsonian. Is it Smithsonian? Here. It, are they a client of yours, if I might be so crass? Oh, yeah. I mean, they have been before. Um, we currently have a game running at the Smithsonian Museum of American Art um, in the, uh, oh, what do they call it? Loose Foundation, in the Loose Foundation area. Um, yeah, so, so that's the only game that we have running currently. Um, but I built a bunch of different games with them. Um, we did Agents of Change at the Smithsonian and other uh, D.C. area museums about a year and a half ago, two years ago. Um, and before that, then my pre- Pre-Green Door days, um, we did the uh, Ghost Smithsonian Trek, which was one of their very first location-based games so, uh, that I did with um, the Ghost Smithsonian team. Without further ado, um, as a way of introducing us to what you do, let's talk about the game that you're sure. currently running at the Smithsonian Museum of American Art, right? Sure, yeah. yeah. So yeah. talk about so, that, and, um, that, and then yeah. we'll get into the, the terminology of what you mean by location-based games, and et cetera, et cetera. Sure, definitely. Um, so, Smithsonian Museum of American Art, this is actually the Loose Foundation. So, Loose Foundation is kind of a funky little um, addendum, you know, little, a little side gallery in the American Art Museum where they have stacks and stacks of really incredible, you know, modern American art. Um, and some of it not so modern, actually, so it's like turn of the century, 1800s. Um, but it's uh, a, a place where they don't have an awful lot of interpretive text. Uh, so, it's a really unusual museum, and they need a lot of uh, sort of help along the way uh, for people to be able to understand what it is they're looking at. So they've always done really creative things uh, at the Luce Foundation. Um, that was the location of probably the first ever uh, museum ARG, which was Ghost of the Champ, uh, the one with uh, Georgina Goodlander. And so they are really sort of forward-thinking. They did uh, Fion, I think, was their second game. Uh-huh. And then, um, and right now with them, you know, it's really, it's very low-key. They just, they had a bunch of scavenger hunts, and they did not know how to make them digital. 
Um, uh-huh. So we worked with them to just sort of translate their regular old scavenger hunts, paper scavenger hunts, uh-huh. into digital scavenger hunts. And how do you, how does one of your uh, digital scavenger hunts, how does it work? I mean, at, at, we're familiar with the, the whole concept sure. of scavenger hunt, but how, how does one of yours work? Uh, pretty straightforward. So um, I do two things. So I, I build sort of custom games um, with different teams of you know, artists and engineers and writers. Um, and I also have a platform called the Adventure Builder. Okay. And we built the Adventure Builder because I had worked with museums for you know, a good amount of time, and I knew that they needed a way to be able to build games that were sort of very quick and robust and flexible, uh, where they could get their analytics back. You know, so you can sort of put questions out to your visitors and you can get results back from mm-hmm. them. And so that's how we built the Adventure Builder. So the Adventure Builder is really easy to use, sort of a WYSIWYG type of platform. And you just plug your content in. You can do um, sort of linear challenges where you take people through a pathway, sort of like an interactive tour. Um, or you can do something that's more uh, like choose your own adventure, like we're doing a really fun thing right now with the South Bend History Museum. Uh, we're calling it Indiana Trail. And so mm-hmm. there's uh, a million ways to die in 8-bit Indiana. So <laughs> like it goes through and you make choices and, and you die of dysentery most of the time. Uh-huh. But uh, but some of the times you don't. If you make just a couple of choices, you know, and while you're doing it, you're going through and you're looking at these artifacts um, and you're playing the role of either a missionary or a soldier or a trader in the, uh, 1692 as you're going through their galleries, so, sort of, you know, making decisions for them. Well, that's fascinating. So, um, that's fantastic. Yeah. What does a game do that can't otherwise be done? You know, it always depends on what you mean when you say game. And that's a word that people sort of debate a lot, right? So Mm -hmm. philosophically, you know, on its own, a game just means that you set up an arbitrary rule system. You know, so you're walking down the street, and how can you break your mother's back? And I just gave you an arbitrary rule system that means absolutely nothing. And if you accept (laughs) that rule system, then now it's a game. Uh So, so it really depends on you know, what you mean by game. But some of the games that we build might be considered more like maybe an interactive story or interactive text or like magic paintball. I mean, would that be considered a game? I think it would. Um, so I like to use the word game, but I also like to use the word sort of interactive media, mm-hmm. responsive media, um, you know, uh, playful, uh, playful learning. Um, and I think... Mostly what you're trying to do is it's so important when it comes to play that there's this participation that happens. You are eliciting a very specific response from your visitor. Um, So one thing that is not a game, that is never a game, is me standing and delivering information for you. Um, A book is not a game, you know, unless, you know, maybe choose your own adventure. It could be a little bit gamey. Um, you know, but, but when you're kind of setting back, a movie is not a game unless you're participating. And so it's the participatory part that's really the key uh, to what we're trying to build. So, and, and I think that there's so much more that can happen in learning when you get people to respond. Yeah. Let's go back to uh, uh, you brought out a couple features of what makes a game. Um, and let's go sure. back, let's go back to the um, let's go back to the walking down the sidewalk. Don't step on a crack. Right. Now that, so that you said arbitrary rule. Um, there's also a participation. I mean, I, it's not a game if I refuse to participate. If I say it's stupid, I'm not going to play your stupid game. Mm-hmm. It's not a game. Um, game can't work. There's also, however, it seems to me, there even games have to deal with a certain reality of, of, of thingness and oughtness. 
I mean, I'm starting to sound like a philosopher <laughs> rather than a historian. Um, there have to be cracks in a sidewalk in order for this game to work. Mm-hmm. You have to be on a sidewalk. I mean, and that, right. that seems to me to apply, obviously, to what you're dealing with. You're constructing a game that works around the reality, the oughtness, the, the grain. You're working with a grain of a museum, like a grain of a wood. Exactly. Exactly. And that's the fun thing about games, too. Um, you know, in the, the participatory in every way. You know, yeah. so they're participatory in that I'm asking you to respond to me. Mm-hmm. But in order to make that work, I also have to respond to my environment. Yeah. You know, so I have to build well, location-based games. So I guess that's not always necessarily the case. You know, screen-based games, I mean, you can play Call of Duty and you're not necessarily responding to your living room. You, you um, aren't, but you are responding to the world which they've created. I mean, you, exactly. can, you can pretend you're playing, I don't know, Soap Bubble Millionaire. I just made that title up. Uh, uh, while, while you're playing, which I'm sure I work on that game. Um while you're playing Call of Duty, but you'd be crazy. I mean, they're, they're right. you're not operating with the rules, the givenness of the of the world that they've created. Um, right, right. There's sort of a tacit agreement whenever you play a game. Yeah, you know, we are going to work within the framework that you give us, and we all agree to kind of play within that framework. Yeah, that's something we've uh, spent a couple weeks uh, prior to this um, recording, uh, and prior to this podcast being, uh, I don't know, broadcast, whatever that means for a podcast. <laughs> We've been talking about reacting to the past, uh, which is, oh, cool. uh, yeah, which I think gets to this other thing. Um, I can see we're getting really philosoph- It gets this, this, you get to put on identities in a game as well. Mm-hmm. I pl- yes, I pl- definitely. You know, I play Sorry, I play Life, I play Shoots and Ladders. I'm still, mm-hmm. you know, um, I'm putting on a new identity. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I really think that role-playing is one of the most powerful things that games have to offer us. Because I, as, as somebody um, at, at a recent uh, conference that I went to was talking about LARPs. Have you ever heard of LARPs before? Uh, go on. Explain, explain so it to me. It is, they are, LARPs are live action role playing. And, uh, you know, and they, they're really, they're sort of that final stage of nerdiness. So many yeah. of us who are really hardcore nerds still kind of look at LARPing and we're like, oh, yeah. I don't know, that's pretty nerdy. You, you start to put <laughs> but, that uh, reflexive L signal to your forehead. That's what I start to do. Yeah, well, but, uh, I mean, reacting to the past is a, is a LARP. I mean, it's essentially, a, yeah. yeah, yeah, almost like reenactors. Yeah, it is. Yeah. You know, it's and um, and so these incredible reenactors gave a talk all about you know what it is uh, to to play a LARP, and they said, well, you know, uh, it may seem silly, but once you have accepted the rule set, you have an awful lot to learn by being somebody else for three days. Yeah. And that really struck me, and I was like, boy, is that the truth. You know, because you, you it sort of starts from the outside in. You know, first you wear their clothes, and then you sort of, you know, you play their story, and you walk through maybe a place that they might have walked through. And now you're actually trying to see things from a different perspective, like really working hard yeah. to see things from a different perspective, which I think is one of the best things that a human can learn how to do. Yeah, and you it, know that, which is what we call critical thinking. I mean, which is, exactly. is the best definition of critical thinking. Um, something we right. talk about all the time, but no one really defines it. We just all love it. Like after I know, I know. It doesn't fit into STEM right now. No, yeah. kind of. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah, but that's the thing, you know, sort of, uh, you know, inhabiting that character, I think, really uh, really makes a, a huge difference in what you're able to retain, so, um, you know, and the experience that you have. Well, let me, um, if you're trying to put together a game, even using your adventure um, tool, Adventure. It sounds like adventure, but it starts with an E. Adventure. 
Oh, that's right. It's one of those things. It sounded no. very clever when I first coined <laughs> the term and got the website, and now I'm like, oh, that's so complicated. It's, what was I thinking? <laughs> you, you've got the it's WYSIWYG and all the rest of it, but some of these games are going to be better than others. Um, yes. What are do you try to do when you, Kellyan, put together a game? What are you trying to hit? I guess the things that we've discussed already. Um, you're trying to combine those all together in a seamless way, the shift in identity, the oughtness, the givenness, the arbitrary rules, the what else? Well, what I started to do, not started to do, but like I have a pretty clear design strategy that I work on with everybody that I work on a game with. So from my very smallest museum to my very biggest museum, you know, we're always there with them for their very first game. Um, and the reason is because it's hard to write interactive content. And I think that we're going to mm. find in the next five, ten years that this is um, a skill set that we just assume everybody has, and it's not necessarily the truth. Um, writing something that people have to respond to at different touch points is actually something, it's a skill. Yeah, I, they kind of have to figure out after a while and it's not the same as writing an essay i agree i think i think it's going to be almost i i strongly suspect now having started to think about this it's going to be the new genre art of the um 21st century I think so. Yeah. So, um, of course, you know, I've been I've been writing in this format for the last eight years now. So for me, it's pretty straightforward, pretty uh, comfortable. Um, So I'll work with my museums. um, And what I like to do usually is um, I'll go through three different sort of design questions for them. Um, And we, we usually boil it down to what are your goals, what are your resources and what are your restrictions? Um, so before we go anywhere with the game, and sometimes my WYSIWYG is the right solution, and sometimes it's not. Um, sometimes it's a hybrid. Um, like, for instance, right now I'm working on a game with the um, Adirondack Museum, and um, they, they really wanted to use the Adventure Builder, and the Adventure Builder is great, but it needed an extra sort of component. We're working with fourth graders, mm-hmm. um, and it couldn't be reading heavy, so we added cards to the adventure builder, you know, so we've kind of got the two components together. So what I what I usually do is I figure out, like, goals, what do you want? Um, and with games, you have to be really, really, really specific about what you want. So, you know, we want people to have fun, or we want to engage the 18 to 34-year-old demographic. That's mm-hmm. a really bad place to start. <laughs> to start is a bad place to finish. Because everyone, everyone wants to have fun, and they always want to gain get the 18 to 34-year-old demographic. Yeah. Exactly. Especially ones with lots of money. Yeah, and right, right. Or, you know, just the ones that are sort of, you know, high profile and they're going to share it on social media (laughs) and we want to go viral. And, you know, these are sort of all the catchphrases that people like to say. Um, And it doesn't mean that they're untrue. You know, like, of course, you do, you do want to have fun and you do want to engage 18 to 34 year old demographic. Um, But games are like a really specific. medium and so whatever you ask people to do they're going to do exactly that because that's part of the game you know these are the arbitrary rules that you're setting up and so if you set up an arbitrary rule and you say okay you have to jump up and down 10 times you know and then you have to eat an ice cream (laughs) and that's part of the game (laughs) so essentially you'd better have a pretty good reason to make people do these things, or otherwise they're going to look at your game and be like, why am I jumping up and down? Uh, unless they have an extraordinarily uh, you know, different sense of humor. Yeah. <laughs> right, which they might. Yeah. Which they might. You never know. You but know? it won't be a And game. getting people to do silly things. Yeah. Well, it might be. I mean, if true, it's a true. game and your purpose is to get people to do silly things, then what the hey, why That's, not? That would be that kind of right? game. Right, but the but catch is, is that... You want a different game. Yeah. Yeah. 
Right. Well, the catch is like, you know, do you want people talking to each other? Mm-hmm. Um, do you want people um, looking at a very specific exit? Do you want people moving their bodies in a certain way? Like, so you can be very particular. Yeah. You know, I want people to go to that corner and stand here, and I want them to look at exactly this part, and then I want them to tell me A, B, and C about that. Now, um, that's... So you, as an educator, you really have to think seriously. Yeah. Yeah, and very, very precisely. And but what I also, what you're indicating is something I've come to understand. You know, reading your website and others, that in a location-based game, we'll get to, which just means a game played in a particular physical spot, right? I mean, is that mm-hmm. right? You could have three or four games completely different with different stories, directions, points, purposes happening in the same room. It's it's a beautiful yeah part. yeah explain that a little bit. Well, I mean, it's all about perspective. Yeah. Um, and so actually, that's you know a, another game that we're working on um, right now that we're we're playing with a game um, <laughs> that uh, in an undisclosed location because it's not finished yet. So I'll tell you all about <laughs> it once it's done. Um, but it's a city game, and so you're going to be sort of walking around the city. Um, but we knew that everybody would not want to be walking around the city in the same way. Right. Um, so, like, one version of the game is sort of like an Indiana Jones story where you're sort of tracking tracking down these different pieces to break a curse. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another version of the uh, story takes you to very similar places, but it tells a story about uh, the ghosts of the city and the history and the things that happened there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you could take another version of the city uh, or of the, the city tour, um, and it can really just be a very straightforward scavenger hunt. You know, mm-hmm. so that's sort of the third version that we're playing with a little bit. You know, find this flower, look at this, uh, look at this plaque, mm-hmm. um, because you know we're becoming. More and more, I would say, uh, sort of specified in how we interact with content right now. You know, now there's like 800 types of spaghetti sauce that you can potentially, you know, choose at the grocery store. And yeah. so everybody is, uh, you know, everybody has their, their very particular tastes, and and you can bring them through your content uh, according to how they'll best respond. It, yet it is the, um, it is also the most real way of approaching reality. Which is saying that there's uh, I can walk outside the 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 hall on on campus where I'm recording this, and I can see mm-hmm. multiple different things which work on different levels, um, and exactly, and that requires completely different perspectives to, to appreciate them. I've got there might be a hundred right. students walking around all with completely unique personality and a problem that's going on. They're all seeing things exactly. in completely different ways. I can go around Philadelphia right. and I can find different stories everywhere. I see different things. They're all in the same block, though. Um, this is like right. Life. Yep, yep. That's it. That is exactly correct. And you know, gaming is one of the only ways that you can express that. I think, because you're allowed to sort of box between different perspectives. I mean, they do that sometimes in literature, but it, it has you very should. different feel than a game. Yeah, it does. Um, it it um, it does, but we are supposed to be able to be a 19th century whaler or um, a, a late, you know, 18th mm-hmm. century admiral or sailor or something like that. Yeah, I always wanted to do one of the games that I've always wanted to build, and I just haven't gotten a chance yet. Is I'm really interested in um, the, the Washington D.C. Public Housing Museum, mm-hmm. and I think it would be so interesting to tour the public housing museum as a resident of public housing, mm-hmm. as a politician who mm-hmm. has to either support or not support public housing, huh. or as the architect who created public housing. Yeah, and they would see the same things, but they would see them so differently. That's that's fantastic. And that, certainly that example is certainly um, 
should get people realizing this is not about Dungeons and Dragons. This is something, right. something else. Um, right, exactly. It's just about perspective. Yeah. Why don't you like the word gamification? Oh, gosh. I, I don't think you'll meet any game designer who likes the word <laughs> gamification. Um, <laughs> because, you know, when you say ification on the end of something that isn't it, it assumes that that thing is not that thing and that you're kind of forcing it into it. Well, that is awful. Um, yeah. yeah, so you sort of... Yeah, so you're sort of taking something that is, you know, unfun, and we're going to fun if it. That means it's still not fun. It just is kind of a little bit sort of if I fun, fun if I. So it's like a an ad for Jeep. They put a game on for it. Now it's it's gamified. It must be fun or something. Like that. Yeah, exactly. And it's still an ad. You know, it's like, well, and honestly, I don't think it takes any more effort to just make a game than it does to gamify something. I mean, and I think it, it sort of changes the way that people um, approach the medium of building games. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I think more and more people are starting to see game design as itself. So, like, you can be a writer or you can be an artist or a painter or a musician. And now I think people are starting to see interactive media as this is a new format yeah. for us to create art. This is a new way for it's us a, to yeah. build things that people can respond to, you know, a new form of communication. Um, and so, like, yeah. you wouldn't artify something, you know, <laughs> or musicify something. You no. would, you know, the, the idea is that if you want to transmit a message, then just do it in this media form. You know, and it's yeah. not difficult to do at all. It's much harder to sort of take a thing and, you know, shove media form into whatever it is that you already have. What, um, the, the, <laughs> the games that you're doing, of course, are for education. So mm-hmm. how can you convey, um, things other than information, um, in, um, when you're doing an education game? Uh, how can you convey sort of the analytical process if you're doing if you're doing a game? This is I, I I I think some of the objections to games I've heard from from colleagues and others is that okay this is a mm-hmm. a pretty way of conveying a textbook. Um, it's a pretty way of conveying mm-hmm. facts. That's nice. A scavenger mm-hmm. hunt, big damn deal. Um, they're wanting to know how can I uh, convey some sort of critical analytical thinking. We've 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 sort of touched on one what the very act of taking on different perspectives is in itself right. critical thinking but how else can you build that into a game well again i think the most important thing that you have to do when you build a game is to know what you want out of your users and i think that's something that every educator really fights with mm-hmm. you know whenever you start any sort of class you need to know you know students will be able to yeah. what you know, like, and and you have to be able to answer that question yeah. beyond a shadow of a doubt, or you're not going to have a successful class. So you're, and you'd be I surprised how many start without that. But yeah, you're, you're you're calling for reverse lesson planning, basically. Where do I want to go? Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. No, and I've been there before too. Actually, you yeah. know, back when you know I I was an educator before I was a game designer, um, and when I was doing my very first classes, I was like, oh, I'm going to teach verbs because I like verbs. You know, and I, I didn't really understand that I had to have a very specific thing that I was driving towards, and then I had to work backwards from there. Yeah, well, a lot and of it took a long, long time. A lot of history professors say, "Oh, I like history. Let's teach history." Oh, okay, you'll like this right, as much as I right, do. Right, exactly. Yeah. So you start, yeah, start yeah, to work I mean, backwards. Mm-hmm. You work backwards. 
Yeah, yeah, and it's the exact same thing with game building, you know, is that, but why are you building this game? You know, are you building it because you want to, I, you know, some, I mean, sometimes people do build games just because they want to express something that they think is beautiful. And there are lots of games out there that are expressive games. Um, a lot of indie games are just, they're telling a story and they're gorgeous. Um, but I don't typically do that. I usually work for games for learning. You know, the, I, I work for games for change. These are the games that I build have a cause of some sort. Like, I'm making this because I want you to respond in a certain way. So, so uh, I need uh, let me um, say, you should, you should explain what you mean by uh, games for change. What, what's, that's almost a term of art now. Oh, yeah, so Games for Change, um, it just means that I am building a, a game where I am sort of looking to elicit a very specific response. Um, so, for instance, like, you know, Portal or Call of Duty, those aren't really Games for Change, they're just kind of games. Um, I mean, those are essentially games for commerce, you know, like somebody built something, they're like, this is going to be fun, and I'm going to sell it, and, you know, it's going to make a million dollars, and it did. Um, but if you create a game for change, then this is a game where you want people to interact with a very specific type of content. You're saying, you know, I really want you um, to think about biodiversity. Um, I really want you to learn how a flower grows. Sometimes uh, games for change are built for awareness, and sometimes they are built for social causes. Um, sometimes they're built for health, uh, community building. Um, one of my favorite games for change, I think it's so fun, um, it was called Making Money in Making Georgia. And what they did was uh, they just mailed everybody a half of a dollar bill. Um, and you had to go around Macon and figure out who had the other half of your dollar <laughs> bill. And when you figured out who had that other half of your dollar bill, then you could together bring it somewhere and redeem it for actual money that you could spend in downtown Macon. Um, and the whole purpose of that game was, uh, you know, this half of town does not talk to the other half of town, uh -huh. and we would like to do something playful that gets them to engage. Uh, and it worked. It was great. You know, so that's a very simple game for change that has a very specific goal that they're trying to achieve. So the, um, the change just being discussed, it seems to me, it's, I don't know if this is the original double uh, meeting, but the, the change occurs in the, in the, in the player. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's always the hope in Games for Change. Games for Change are, like, are built to make a better world, you know, to, to make right. your players notice something or learn something or, you know, change their minds about something. Huh. So we've got a Game for Change that's location-sensitive. Um, do you mostly, are these mostly aimed, uh, it seems a lot of the examples that you give on your website that I've found are mostly aimed at, um, they're not aimed at adults. And I am I want more of these games for adults. I'm a little impatient. Oh, <laughs> yeah. well, you know, I guess it kind of depends on how you look at games for adults. I yeah. mean, for instance, um, you know, Murder at the Met, that was absolutely yeah. a game for adults. Okay. Like, I thought that was a what, great game. What, was Murder, at the, and what, like, what uh, was Murder at the Met? Tell us about that. Oh, so Murder at the Net was a game that we built with the Metropolitan Museum of Art, um, and they have this incredible production team, so the art is beautiful and the movies are beautiful. Um, and we worked together to make this sort of uh, clue game throughout the uh, American Art Gallery in the Met. And so somebody has murdered Madam X, and you have to um, interview all the different pieces of art, um, of art and figure out who it was that killed Madam X, you know, like what... Why did they kill her, and what weapon did they use? And um, the purpose of that game was um, 
they wanted to engage teenagers, actually, but they also wanted to do something that would show off that they now have Wi-Fi in the uh, American Art Wing. And uh, they just wanted to do something that would get kids looking more closely at the art. And so, uh, yeah, so, so that's what that was. But I, that's totally a grown-up thing. I mean, there's murder, there's intrigue, you know, that's, that's a... That's a great game. Um, you know, a bunch of the other things, like, for instance, um, Indiana Trail that we're building uh-huh. with the Indianapolis Museum um, of History, uh, after South Bend Museum of History, um, kids don't know what Oregon Trail is. Right. Um, you know, so it may look like a kid game, but in fact, that's really targeted towards somebody who remembers playing Oregon Trail as a kid. <laughs> yeah. You know, that, that 8-bit art isn't going to mean anything to a 12-year-old. My, my college students still remember Oregon Trail, so it's not that it's not quite that. Do they? I'm I, I glad really to hear that. Yeah, it's not that quite that yet. That was a classic game. Yeah. Um, one, um, one thing that strikes me as I, as I look at this is the, um, is the way in which games are better. Well, for example, I'm in finals week, or it's about to be finals week. Um, the way that games... Uh, work is uh, these days is that you fail at something and you get to stop, mm-hmm. go back, and do it over and figure out how to do it better. Um, I give a final. I don't give finals, but I give papers. But if uh, I give a final, they uh, get a grade and that's mm-hmm. it. Um, games seem superior to me in that way as a learning experience. Have you, have you thought about the implications yeah. of that? Well, you know, I think a lot of people are thinking about the implications of that right now. And I think that largely that is related to sort of the bucket of tools that this generation has to work with. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could be that you are working with things that were a little more tactile. You know, when you are building a building and it is brick and mortar and there is no way for you to create... Um, an exact model of it until it's brick and mortar. Well, you better do it right the first time. Mm. You know, (laughs) that castle is only going to be built correctly once, you know, and you really can't be doing an iterative process. Um, But it's not like that um, when you're working in the digital world. You know, now, whenever you're creating something, then you can have uh, your digital models and you can do your 3D models and these things are not expensive. You know, all it takes is your time to get the best possible bet. And the nice part about that is that once you get into the habit of saying, oh, actually, failing is not that cheap. It just means that I'm learning what works and what doesn't work. Tear it down, try it again, tear it down, try it again. And I think what you finally get when you're finished is a much, much better product. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, so I really think that, you know, yes, absolutely, games teach you how to fail, but I really think that it just reflects the digital tools that most people are working with today. Well, I, I think that it also... Teaching, teaching how to fail is really good, um, and especially yeah. how to recover from failure is one of the most valuable mm-hmm. things you can learn in life. Um, yeah, absolutely. So if, if, that, if that's yeah, the and case, the inevitability of it as well, I think is something yeah, that's, that yeah, is very exactly. useful for people to get used to. Yeah, exactly. So it's going to happen, but you can you can make it back. Um, right. Uh, it seems to me that one of the amazing things, and we've, we've touched on this already, if you, you can turn an entire city into a museum, uh, basically, um, using yeah. games, using this, using the digital technology, using your, your handheld device, whatever it is. Um, you can make museums um, have a thousand different stories and be a lot more interesting than they are now. Uh, use their art in a lot better way. Um, 
looking for? What's the next thing that you want to do that you haven't done yet? There's a couple things that I'm really interested in right now. So one thing that I'm sort of playing with um, is I, I really think the future of being able to build these things, at least for educators, um, is going to be having platforms that we can use that are you know flexible and inexpensive because you know museums you can't can't afford seventy thousand dollars every time you want to release a game. You know, and no matter how good the game is, no museum has that kind of budget. And by, by platform, um, so you mean? Need... Sorry, um, I. I'm, I mean, sort of um, digital tools that we can be building uh, building these games on so that oh, we're not okay. creating everything from scratch. Sure, sure. Um, and that way our content becomes more flexible and, you know, we have more opportunities to create more iterations. You know, we can make those thousands of stories. We don't have to hire developers to do it every single time. Mm -hmm. um, so one of, the, one of the interactions that I'm working on a platform right now is uh, I love sort of the selfie culture. I'm really interested in selfie culture in, um, in art because essentially what are people doing when they're taking a selfie? You know, when you take that picture and you post it to social media, then you're saying, um, I find this important. Yeah. You know, I would like you to see me this way. Uh -huh. um, and your selfies are different for everybody. You know, I would like you to see me as beautiful. I would like you to see me as funny. Mm -hmm. I would like you to see me as someone who cares about art and history, mm -hmm. you know, and that's what, what's happening when people are taking these selfies in museums and posting them on social media. I mm -hmm. would like you to see me as somebody who cares about culture. Mm -hmm. um, and so how can we capture those pictures and how can we direct them and how can we make that the beginning of a conversation rather than sort of the end of a conversation? Mm -hmm. um, and how can we use games to direct that? So that's the platform that I'm really interested in right now. Um, and I think that people are very comfortable with taking pictures. Yeah. Um, Agents of Change was a really successful game that we ran a couple of years ago that was all about picture taking, um, and I've been I've been meaning to see what I can do with that dynamic for a while. So I, I think that this year may be the opportunity to to kind of play with some stuff with picture taking games. I, I have to say I have no idea how that would work, so I really want to find out how you do it. I mean, it's, it's just okay. That's like yeah, that sounds interesting, but I, don't I can know. tell you I can tell you how agents work. Yeah, how does that work? Um, so, yeah, I've, I've ran a couple of these. So, like, one game that I ran, um, uh, Agents of Change, we did it with the Girl Scouts. Um, and it was, like, the Girl Scouts, uh, oh, I think it was, like, their 150th union or something. It was a big jamboree on the mall. Um, and so, to get them into the museum, uh, we said to them, okay, hey, girls, guess what? Um, it's the end of the world. <laughs> you live in a post-apocalyptic society, yeah. and there is nothing left. You're busted back to basics. You can't um, even sell cookies. <sighs> They can't even sell cookies. Right, right, exactly. No cookies, no <laughs> cookies. I mean, we had so many Girl Scout um, jokes in this. Yeah, this is, okay. um, I, I worked with uh, Rachel Meskin, who is this amazing writer, so creative, and she put in so many incredible uh, Girl Scout jokes. <laughs> I, I think she called the... Um, she called the devices mint, M-I-N-T-S, and they're very thin. <laughs> so make sure you use your thin mint as a device to take pictures. <laughs> it, was, it was a pretty fun game. Um, yeah, so we said to the girls, we're like, okay, so um, we have these, these very thin mints, these devices, that we, we call them mints, and they will take us back in time um, to the ancient 2000s. Um, and so, you know, and you're going to go back to 2012 and you're going to find um, things from the ancient past and you're going to bring them to save our society in the future. Mm -hmm. And so we gave them categories of things that they would bring back. We said, what are you going to collect 
in order to save biodiversity? What are you going to collect in order to save um, government and laws? What are you going to collect to save arts and entertainment? Um, you know, um, justice. Uh, what else did we have? I think we had, um, I don't remember, oh, of course, science and technology. Um, and, and for the girls, we sort of unleashed them on uh, the Smithsonian Museum, and they just took all of these pictures and categorized them. So, like, they took a picture of, the, uh, of Amelia Earhart, um, uh, I think she called it the canary. Mm-hmm. They said, I'm going to save this for, for um, technology. Um, but then another, another girl took a picture of the right flyer, and she was like, you know what? We don't have the gas, the fuel that we need in the future. Um, so let's start with this. This will give us the technology that we need to build out a flight program. Huh. Um, they they had to debate. There was the the, uh, the mall, and they were sort of debating back and forth. One girl chose bees. One girl chose pandas. And one girl chose butterflies. And they were sort of talking amongst themselves online. You know, well, pandas are wonderful, but do we really need them in our future post-apocalyptic society? Because, you know, they're not a pollinator. And, you know, how are they going to contribute to our uh, our environment? Um, And then they decided that uh, butterflies, that they are beautiful and will inspire them, but that they are also a pollinator, you know, so that they can sort of do double duty. Um, This got deep very quick. Mm. What was that? This this debate this got deep very quickly. Yeah, yeah, and so that's what we did. It kind of um, it gave these girls a door to sort of talk about this content. I mean, the questions that we were asking were actually massive. You know, yeah. why do we collect? Yes. Why is collecting important? You know, why are some objects more important to us than others? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what might be important in the future um, that we have right now? Um, but the way that we talked about it was just through these very simple pictures and then sort of justifying the pictures. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm really interested in, you know, what can be done with that type of game dynamic. Um, also really interested in what can be done um, with sort of the physical and digital together. Mm-hmm. Like, that's kind of a fun thing. You know, a lot of stuff that's happening with Oculus Rift right now, which yes. is exciting. You know, like, just this sort of immersive environment. You know, it's certainly, like, it's not... It's not, you know, philosophically what I'm trying to get at. You know, I don't really want to build new environments for people to ignore the world. You know, I would like to have the world interacting, you know, with with humans. Uh, but uh, but Oculus Rift is just such a cool tool, and you know, neat to sort of see what it is and what yeah. you can build there that you can try and bring into the real world. What I was uh, thinking of ending on that, um, or, or with uh, you got there ahead of me. Um, it, it seems that Google Glasses, people are treating it as a, a big failure. Um, yeah. They're they're wrong. Um, eventually, there'll be something like that, and there will be a success. Yeah, yeah. There, I've heard there already is. There yeah. are already variations on it. And in, in that said, well, there will be people who want to uh, rift. They'll be, become a verb, I'm sure, um, mm. and will just spend their time in, in virtual reality. Um, mm-hmm. But with uh, something like a Google Glass, or God knows, it'll probably be an Apple Glass. Right. Um, There'll be, there's the possibility, I mean, I, I'm thinking as a, someone who wants to, uh, where public history is going to merge with, with gaming, uh, you could be in, um, uh, you could be a poor, impoverished town in rural Massachusetts with a rich 400-year mm-hmm. history, and all mm-hmm. of a sudden with a very, it seems to me, a very small um, platform that someone mm-hmm. like you is going to build, you could mm-hmm. be Colonial Williamsburg. Uh, without the $150 million investment in 1930 
You can just Absolutely. overlay this yeah. stuff. Yeah, and we will get there. You know, there's no doubt in my mind. It's, the technology is moving so fast, and it's becoming so much more accessible. Yeah. You know, and what a cool way that's going to be to interact with history, yes. to be able to see the present and the past sort of merged together in one in one story. Yeah, and in ways that right now it takes um, a, a doctorate in history to sort of immerse yourself in primary sources to sort of right, to right, have this double yeah. vision. Um, I can I can through a game or through this admixture of, of reality and virtual reality, I can convey that to people. It's extraordinary. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and then, you know, I, I think right now we're telling a lot of stories about technology. And yeah. we're so excited about all these different types of technology. But the quality of what we're able to build is really going to come down to the stories we can tell. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think, well, a lot of kids are like, oh, I really want to learn how to code. It's like, oh, I can understand why you would say that. And absolutely, yes, you should learn how to code. However, you know, in 10, 15 years, it might be absolutely obsolete to know how to specifically code. There might be all sorts of front interface platforms that are just drag and drop. So really what you need to know how to do is tell an interactive story rather than know how to, you know, program C++. Um, this has uh, been a, a fantastic um, time, and thanks so much, Kellyanne, for joining us. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. It was really fun chatting. Um, my guest today has been Kellyanne. Oh, God, I'm so sorry. Um, it's not a hard name. No, I <laughs> All right. That's, uh, that's all for this week. Uh, thanks for joining us on Historically Thinking. For more historical thinking, go to historicallythinking.org where you can comment on today's program and find show notes, links, and readings related to today's conversation. Historically Thinking is recorded in the studio of WAUG, the student radio station of Augustana College. Our program's editor is John Ruddat. Beth Leinbach keeps the schedules in sync. Matt Lehas keeps the WAUG studio running. I'm your host, Al Zambone. Talk to you next week.